Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. show and our weekend review man city are two-thirds of the way to their dream after turning up at wembley and reigning supreme ilke gundogan was the star as the game proceeded and david de gea let him score twice unimpeded and it was tough to see pep going up wearing a hoodie to collect the cup christopher and cuckoo made sure the german cup wasn't boring but he's off to chelsea now so he'll no longer be scoring and this weekend messi benzema and zlatan each seem to play their final year European game and the continent will never ever be the same. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's going to be substituted by Valt Veghorst for about the last 12 minutes of this podcast, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, darling. Hello. Yeah, I was pretty, pretty bullish on Valt Veghorst when he went to Manchester United. I was pretty sure it was going to work out just fine and I guess it worked out okay, but it's not quite the same as bringing on Phil Foden or starting Erling Haaland, I suppose. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Uh, that yeah. being a reference to the FA Cup final, Tater, and also that you mm-hmm. are a trooper. You're not quite 100%. You're a little under the weather, but we uh, we hope you uh, do go the distance on this podcast here. Yeah, nothing like watching uh, your favorite team get sort of embarrassed uh, with a 102-degree fever. Uh, it, was, it was a really fun Saturday morning as I laid in bed sweating and watched Manchester United sometimes sweat. Sometimes they worked up a sweat. That was fun. Okay, I'm not going to say what I was going to say about that, but joining us, a man who hopes to finish this show as strong as Toby Alderweireld finished the Belgian season, Graham Ruthven. Hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. What a strike by Toby Alderweireld. I'm not sure if we're going to talk a little bit more about it later on in the show, but it's the sort of thing that... We won't be. (laughs) (laughs) I I might be. (laughs) I, I found it like one of the most incredible things, not just of this weekend, but of the whole season. Toby Alderweireld scoring a stoppage time screamer to win the title for Royal Antwerp for the first time, I think, since 1957. It's the sort of thing that if that was in, like, a film or an episode of Ted Lasso, I would watch that and think, oh, come on, that's yeah. that's not realistic. But no, it actually happened, and it was amazing. Yeah, his shot actually went through the net as well, uh, just like <laughs> they tend to in these kind of things. Um, we, we, of course, at TSS are committed to covering the Belgian Pro League, which is why we've waited till the final day of the season to discuss it uh, this time around. <laughs> uh, rounding out the pack this weekend review, we got a man who's going to attack the second half of this podcast, like Barcelona Femenino attacked the second half Ooh. of Champions League finals. Joe Lowry, hello! What a game. I, I could not believe that Wolfsburg had jumped out ahead to that lead before halftime. And I could not believe equally that Barcelona charged their way back and got three goals. What a game. Like between the atmosphere, between the, the quality of play going on in this match, it's what we've come to expect from these types of games. And this one over the weekend absolutely delivered. And I'm pumped to talk more about it later. We shall do. We shall talk about the Women's Champions League final very shortly. Uh, very conveniently timed at the same time as the FA Cup final this weekend. Wonderful uh, scheduling there. Uh, Joe, um, you're a young person. TST tournament. That was fun, right? 
Good. I thought yeah. so. I didn't watch a ton of it, but I, I talked about this on Patreon, and I think Taylor and I are going to talk more about it tomorrow with our mm. lovely guest, David Goss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it looks TST. fun from Mr. TST himself, of course, who was down <laughs> at the TST. Also, side question, how many times can I say TST in answering Ryan? Let's find out, listener. Maybe you can keep track at home and, and play along with this very fun game about the TST. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, Ryan. I didn't watch a ton of it, but I watched some of Conrad and Beasley United the other day. I think that was Saturday. Jimmy Conrad locking things up in the back. It was it was fun. I don't think the quality of play was like exceptionally high, but I think that will likely improve year over year. It seems like from everybody that was there, it was a good atmosphere. It was fun. It was engaging uh, as far as a product goes. I thought on social media, they did a good job of, of trying to establish a brand and trying to establish some bona fides. I have a hard time envisioning this not getting better and even more yep. fun next year. Yeah, Ryan, will you admit totally you didn't, you didn't uh, know what TST stood for if I admit that I didn't realize it was a four-day tournament and it's over and my plans to watch some of these games are not going to pan out because it's done yeah. and the champions have been crowned and they've handed out the million dollars. I'm happy to admit this one passed me by until it started, if I'm honest, Graham. But uh, it did seem very enjoyable indeed. Everything's finer in North Carolina, so it was good to be uh, hosted in the best state in the union as well. Uh, as we say, Joe, we'll chat more about that. Bing, bing, about that tomorrow. <laughs> maybe even on Thursday, we'll do a TPT to TST. Who knows? Wonderful stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah, maybe. Who knows? Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want more bonus banter like that incredible little uh, back and forth we had there. But in the meantime, <laughs> let's go to the FA Cup final. Man City 2, Manchester United 1. Man City taking the lead after 13 seconds, the fastest goal in FA Cup Which was history. funny. Like, I don't know if anyone else had this reflex reaction, but I found that very funny because obviously we know how good Manchester City are. You're kind of thinking, right, here are the things that Man United need to do to have a chance against Man City. They need to keep it tight at the back for the first time. Oh, wait, 13 seconds. I think I actually laughed out loud when that goal went yeah. in. I'm guessing Taylor didn't have the same reaction. <laughs> I was going to say, you know who didn't have that reaction, Graham? <laughs> I laughed. Oh, I laugh. <laughs> From delirium. In like a delusional six day. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's what it was. I think I I think I genuinely said, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was not really the way I wanted this game uh, to start for sure. And I didn't really love that it was two going to one strikes, as though he remembered to score again, and Manchester United then let that happen. Yeah, not my favorite game. Not my favorite game of the weekend. Well, let's dig into that a little more, I'm sorry to say, Taylor. Mm. Uh, Gundogan making it 2-1, of course, with the volley after Bruno Fernandes uh, got that controversial penalty to equalise. I think, Taylor, it's fair to say this wasn't a classic game. Both teams were not at their best, but City ultimately just proved that they are the bigger machine here. Better chances, more possession, much deeper bench, as we've proven with the Valtvegkos thing. It it should have been a wider margin of victory for City, it's it's probably Mm -hmm. fair to say, right? Yeah, I think that is the thing. Manchester United losing to Manchester City is sadly not that uncommon. Uh, So it's not even that it was losing a derby, losing the FA Cup final. The reason why I really dislike this game is because, as the commentator said, City never really had to be at their best in this one. And I think there is a reason for that. Uh, If you all will forgive me an emotional ramble for a moment. Joe, there will be no analytics here, so I hope you're able to process this. Graham and Ryan, emotions are things that people feel that you all tend to keep inside. Uh, but oh. I just want you know a little bit of background for this one. My assumption in, in watching this and the way it played out is that I think I was thinking United were going to be battered in this game. I didn't really see a way for them to win. I jokingly said that maybe they should just forfeit because if Real Madrid are losing 4-0, at least you're only losing 3-0. And I sort of think that Manchester City came into this game the way Manchester United might approach playing 
like a championship team or a League One team in the Carlin Cup or excuse me, the Carabao Cup of of just sort of being like, ah, we got this. I don't think they ever really needed to be at their best. And I think there were moments of that just did not look like Man City. There's the one where Rodri, I don't know if he picked up an injury, but he just sort of stopped playing for a moment and Pep loses his mind. There were a lot of errors that I think are uncommon for Manchester City, but it wasn't Man United making them make those errors. It just seemed like they weren't as sharp as they as they often are. And it was just Ilkay Gundogan hitting the ball well or sort of hitting it well uh, for the second one and definitely hitting it well for the first. That was the difference. And, and I don't think Man United had many answers. I don't think they offered much in terms of creativity to their attack. I don't really begrudge anyone, though. I'm not annoyed with Eric Ten Hag's tactics. I'm not really annoyed with any individual performances. I think, Ryan, you nailed it. It's just there's a difference in quality between the two yeah. teams, as yeah. as tough as that is to realize. I, th- I thought this was a pretty good reflection of where both teams are mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, as it's been noted already, both teams can play better. Certainly, City can play better. We've seen them play better this season. But I think we saw in this performance what has made them a little bit different this season. They now have that option to be a little bit more direct, to be a little bit more blunter. I mean, their their first play of the game is Stefan Ortega just lumping the ball forward to, to Erling Haaland. And yeah, there's there's um, some good stuff going on with Ilkay Gundogan drifting into space, and he does that so well. And Mine kind of struggled at times with the physicality of Haaland. But that is essentially just route one football into Erling Haaland. It's not something we've seen very often from Man City under, or at all under uh, Pep Guardiola. And then with Man United, we saw a team that was just about able to stay competitive and play some decent stuff in patches, but not for the full 90 minutes. And and I think that is, I tweeted about this after the game, that is the, the silver lining for United from this game is, it is really, really clear what United need to progress. They're lacking in a, in a few, a few um, key positions. They need a new goalkeeper is one of the big takeaways from this game. Obviously, we kind of knew that before this game, but David De Gea, his distribution was problematic throughout the match a number of times just booted it straight out of play had to apologize to teammates then obviously his positioning for the second goal I don't think is ideal either Victor Lindelof kind of looks round as the shot is is trundling past him like this this is going to be saved this is not going to go oh no it's going in the bottom corner David De Gea has somehow not managed to get over to that corner in time so a new goalkeeper I think we also saw and Taylor I know you're not very um positive about Mason Mount I'm a massive Christian Eriksen fan, right? And his signing has been good. He's been good for Manchester United this season. But mm-hmm. as a pressing midfielder, I think you saw yeah. his limitations against Man City in this game. And I think Mason Mount, in that regard, is is an upgrade on that. And then, of course, the obvious one is the number nine issue that Manchester United need this summer. So, yeah, that's the silver lining, if there can be one, when you're losing an FA Cup final to your biggest rivals on their way to uh, matching your greatest ever achievement as a club by winning a treble. But as I say, it was kind of a reflection of where these two teams are at the moment. Yeah, I I agree with so much of that, Graham. And Taylor, even a lot of what, what you got to as well, despite the fact that there were no numbers in there. I don't know what <laughs> like what you thought you were doing there. I, I thought in general, like Ten Hag's tactics and Manchester United's execution, especially defensively, was good in this game. The two goals they give up are wonder strikes, essentially, from Ilkay Gundogan. And, and on the whole, like Manchester United, yeah, maybe they didn't have the same quality of chances as City, but they didn't get played off the field. I didn't think at any any point really of this game. I thought the defensive approach from Manchester United was pretty smart and, and pretty effective. They had their front four sort of defending in basically a 4-2-3-1 with Rashford as the nine, Erickson as the 10 behind him, and then Fernandez tucked in on the right side and, and Jaden Sancho tucked in on the left side. They kept their front four super narrow to block off 
Rodri and John Stones. So basically, they, they tried to take those two players out of the game. It wasn't perfect, but that was the goal. And then they would step in, and maybe one of the players that wasn't shadowing Rodri or Stones would step up to pressure the center back on the ball for Man City. Then they had Fred and Casemiro, so the two in the 4-2-3-1 defensively for Manchester United, essentially man-marking Ilke Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne. And those two players, generally speaking, outside of the wonder strikes, and I know that's what decided this game, they didn't have a ton of impact in open play. They didn't have a ton of impact for the vast majority of this game. I thought that Manchester United did a good job of limiting City's chances in possession for most of this game. What let them down was, you know, maybe De Gea seeing that first shot late and, and maybe him needing to do better, at least on the second one, maybe both. What let them down is lacking individual difference makers. What let them down was a few of the, the fine margin points, even within the tactical setup that worked well. It, it wasn't like they were just played off the pitch from the start, right? It wasn't like they were played off the pitch from Pep Guardiola, you know, moving his little magnets around on the tactics seconds. board and then and then, and then then Ten Hag not having answers. Like, I thought they had answers. I thought they had some good ideas. The challenge is just the difference in quality between these teams. And Taylor, this is what you said that I totally agree with. The difference in quality between these teams and frankly, between City and every other team in the Premier League is is big. And it's big enough that City can get away with not having their best ever game and still lifting a trophy. Yeah, I, th- I thought I thought the first 20 minutes were rough for United. That's the one part I would kind of disagree on, Joe, when you say that they didn't get um, outplayed during this match. I thought the first the first 20 minutes after that goal, it, it kind of felt like this might be another one of those matches for United where it's an embarrassing scoreline. It's a complete blowout, as we've seen a number of times this season. They couldn't get on the ball. It, it really felt like they're... With Manchester United this season, there have been times when you can tell their focus and their concentration and, and their confidence has been completely shaken. And those those first 20 minutes, up until the penalty, really, I feared for them. And I thought this this could completely get away from them. This could be a 3 or a 4 nil game. But I agree, the way that they responded after that was relatively impressive. They they just don't have the players at the, at the moment. As, as reductive as that sounds, they just don't have the players really to match up against Manchester, Manchester City. So really, this was kind of as good as they could have hoped for, I think. I'd say, to be fair, United were the better team for the first 12 seconds. Let's get that out of the way. But um, <laughs> When they didn't touch the ball. <laughs> I was talking to my father-in-law, who's a Man United fan, about this game, and he was sort of complaining about, you know, we need to make this, this change, that change mm-hmm. in the summer, and sort of complaining about the season in general. But there's me thinking, if you're a Man United fan, and you've just concluded this season with a League Cup, an FA Cup final, third place, in Eric Ten Hag's first season, when, lest we forget, it didn't start very well at the start of this season, we were told this manager needs time. He might need two or three seasons to bed in. Mm-hmm. This is, in that context, a superb season for Man United, and not a bad way to cap it off, I would suggest. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that. I think it's just hard when you have the, the looming treble, uh, for Manchester United, I think that is sort of like, that's their ground. And so to have your crosstown rival beat you in a final that makes it two-thirds of the way towards getting that treble, I think it's always going to stoke the fires a little bit, though Julia Roberts remains a Manchester United fan. We saw that flag. <laughs> I appreciate that. That makes us all feel better. Uh, but but I think it it was just a, in some ways, that it kind of played out, not even as I expected, because I thought it would be worse, Um but that it played out as like, yep, City are ahead. United really don't have as many difference makers. They don't have many answers. When you're chasing it with Wout Veghorst and Scott McTominay coming on, no disrespect, but I guess a little disrespect. Like, it's it's just, it's not going to make that difference. And so I think that there wasn't able to be those final five minutes when City were backs against the wall defending. It, it never felt like they were truly under pressure. And that is a little bit of a letdown. 
With that said, Ryan, I think your perspective is absolutely correct. If you told me beginning of the season, you're going to win League Cup, okay. Uh, but you're going to finish in Champions League places, I would have taken that one. I thought that could be uh, maybe a tough ask in Eric Ten Hag's first season. Uh, and I think we know a lot about this squad. There have been people brought back in. Aaron Juan Basaka sort of rediscovering his form, and now United not definitely having to sign a right back in the summer, though I thought he had a somewhat rough game in this one. But I think along the way, being able to identify that, yeah, the number nine, that was always kind of an area of concern, especially with what happened with Ronaldo at the beginning of the year. I think Graham is right to spotlight Christian Eriksen and the need for more depth there. And then David De Gea, who used to be, I think, able to make that difference. His distribution has never been particularly excellent. But I think in years past, that second goal, I don't think it's an easy save. It's through traffic. He sees it late. I, I looked at his positioning. I don't think it was particularly poor. He's just not able to make that save. And I think a couple of years ago, he probably is. And that's the difference, is that if you don't have the distribution, you have to be a lights-out shot stopper to balance that. And when you're not at that same level in it anymore, the distribution matters. And I think he was trying to do the sort of Adairson to Erling Holland thing of going direct and trying to bypass the press. But D- David De Gea to Marcus Rashford or Jaden Sancho, it's not quite the same thing as Adairson to Holland, which again is uh, a humbling moment, I think, for Man United fans. He's not even good at that long pass, David De Gea. The number there of times that. he completely screws it and like puts it out of play at the halfway line is too many for that to be a legitimate play from him. There was a pass midway through the second half that Stefan Ortega played, I think Unreal. it was to John Stones and uh, uh, on the halfway line. A uh, player of the and season, it was the John mo- Stones. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Full title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And John Stones, like, tur- the- so t- Stones is excellent in this moment as well, and I think Stones turns and, like, loses three or four minated pl- yeah. uh, players in-, in one go. But the pass from Ortega, who is someone I'm not terribly familiar with because obviously he barely, he barely gets a look in this Man City team. Ederson plays the majority of the games. But that is a pass that David De Gea can't even imagine. Yeah. And yet City's second choice goalkeeper is playing that sort of pass. And after that pass, City are away. You know, they're gone. They're in, they're in a transition moment. My United are completely disorganized. And that was one of the big differences between the two teams. I, yeah. I did like a double take when I realized that it was Ortega in goal. I, I at first was sure it was Ederson because of some of these passes I hadn't seen I looked at the full lineup. I was watching on a few minute delay and I, I did a double take because this, this guy was hitting it on a rope like over and over and over again. It's like there was no drop off from a ability and goal to Ortega's. The only thing I'll add on the goalkeeper discussion, because I think it is an important one for Manchester United distribution is helpful, but the real issue with David Gea is not that he can't kick the ball. It's that he can't stop the ball like that. That is the real issue. And Taylor, I think you said it well when you're talking about maybe he makes that save a few years yeah. ago. <laughs> he's not he's not making it anymore okay. and, and Manchester United needs someone who can help help them in those moments because the reality is they don't have and, and I said this earlier they don't have the talent to challenge Man City player for player right now no one in England has that amount of talent and so maybe the fastest way you can sort of make up some ground is by signing a goalkeeper that can make a difference that can stop shots at a, a well above average rate and, and help you progress in that area so yeah goalkeeper I think is certainly an area striker is is again a question mark midfield defensive midfield there's there's lots of areas that need improvement yeah. but Ryan to your initial point this has not been like a horrendous first year under Ten Hag no I definitely say so and to, to go on to hey it was that first goal that disappointed me the most the not even diving Gundogan he's not getting it he's no, not getting uh, it that's right. like right in the top corner but he just stood still like it wasn't right in the top corner Graham it wasn't it was like a foot from the post and he did it was a looping shot that was telegraphed I think a, a goalkeeper in the Premier League should make a, an effort to get to that I suppose. I, I just don't. I think you would need to be. You know, you see those videos every so often, like TikTok videos of cats making saves. 
like and, and that's kind of like what the sort of save you would need to stop that shot that's i don't have any complaints about the first goal the second goal is the one where i think his positioning and his footwork is a little bit slow graham right. i saw on on the patreon you were asking like how do i fill my time now that the european season is basically over is this what you chose watching mm-hmm. tiktok tiktok <laughs> yeah, cat watching videos cats yeah watching yeah. cats on tiktok makes nice. sense it's not the worst yeah. pick to be honest like it's it's fine. Does, does anyone know the national team that Stefan Ortega is eligible to represent? Oh, I know because I looked it up because I'd never heard of him before in my life. I, it's Germany, right? Is that what you're it talking about? It is Germany. Yeah. Can anyone play for Bielefeld? S- okay, I was going to say, can anyone oh, name me? Oh, 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 Taylor. I went <laughs> in. I, was scroll- I scrolled down at least like you know two scrolls. It was, oh. it was a real deal. Joe, but, how many appearances does he have for any German national team at any level? I would assume like zero, probably. That is correct. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he is an unused substitute a few times, which prepared him for life at Manchester City. Mm, Zach Stanton never. <laughs> true. There we go. He couldn't. Uh, he couldn't. A couple more Hurtful things to true. touch on. <laughs> a couple more things to touch on for this game. Um, Graham, Garnacho coming on for Man United. Yeah. It was really exciting. Like, it, as I say, the, the margin of victory should have been wider for Man City. But when it was like 2-1 and it was the last sort of five minutes or so, Every time he was being fed the ball constantly. Every yep. time he got it in the ball, he looked uh, in the box. He looked really dangerous. He he is he was Joe. You mentioned diff- difference makers earlier. He seemed like he could have been that difference maker in this game. Yeah, not not to blow my own trumpet or anything, but I wrote a piece last week saying that Garnacho had to start this match, and I certainly felt that at full time um, because after he came off the br- the bench. I thought he was. I thought he was brilliant, and it was very telling those last five minutes when my United actually had some kind of sustained pressure in the in the city half. Every single play was going out to Garnacho on the left side because he was making something happen. And I just think with Kyle Walker, you you have to go at Kyle Walker rather than try and play in behind him. And when Man United beat City earlier in the season, it was Garnacho who who did a lot of the damage. He set up the the winner in this match. So I just thought Garnacho would be more likely to run at Walker rather than Jaden Sancho, who kind of likes to play in front of the the defenders. And yeah, Garnacho was absolutely electric when he came on. For someone who has been out injured for for a while, it was remarkable just how sharp he was. There there was a touch he took really late on in the match, maybe uh, stoppage time which was just utterly ridiculous. And it, and it came from Shaw kind of firing a pass into him. But he dealt with it absolutely no problem and, and took this first touch that sets him into the box. And I think he crosses it into the middle. But he has, he has a serious, serious talent. And I think we're going to see even more of him next season. Yes, indeed. Uh, we probably don't need to dwell on the handball incident. I think we can probably all agree it was... Egregious. You know, it was in the rules, but it probably shouldn't be the rules. But, you know, Jack Grealish uh, penalised for the handball for the equaliser. Uh, other highlights for me, uh, TSS player of the year, John Stones, headbutting the crossbar late on when uh, trying to defend <laughs> one of those uh, those uh, Man United late uh, attacks. That was excellent. He, he in midfield, of course, was superb once again, as we noted. Uh, Erling Haaland singing the, the national anthem of the country he was born and raised in was wonderful to see very much enjoyed that and i don't know if you caught this graham liam gallagher hassling a man united yeah, fan that. a small boy in front of him like the row in front of him when city scored was uh was fun obviously that that kid is in the executive suite i'm assuming but still got a ribbing from a, a rock star that was yeah cool. I'm, I'm i'm assuming he knows that kid as well and that's not just yeah. a random child that he is like harassing yeah that was funny um i don't know if anyone saw jack grealish's celebrations in the dressing room where I think it's the kit man at Man City um, who's a bit of a joker. I remember seeing him in the All or Nothing documentary. He's like sliding across the floor and then absolutely demolishes Jack Grealish's Gucci bag uh, and Grealish kind of warns him, stay away from my Gucci bag or something like that. That was pretty funny. And then also City celebrating with Elton John on uh, on the tarmac at Manchester Airport. So 
we spoke about this in the Slack. Um, in Manchester on Saturday night, Coldplay were playing, Elton John were playing, who was the other one? Arctic Monkeys. Um, Elton John met Man City and like took a picture with all of them and was singing with them. And I think Phil Foden is bizarrely a giant Elton John fan. I remember he was pictured at one of his gigs and he got a selfie with him here. So yeah, I wouldn't have put those two... Uh, those two people together but yeah phil foden elton john i don't yeah. know maybe like phil foden's quite short like tiny dancer or something in that i don't know what oh i like that i was yeah. gonna go rocket phil rocket man foden but now phil tiny dancer foden sounds, well, sounds i was gonna good suggest to uh, they met on the tarmac on saturday night so right for flying um <laughs> there we go thank you very much you're welcome uh, joe is loving this joe is you guys loving took the two, you guys took the this. two i could have done and so there's nothing left for me <laughs> All right, City are two-thirds of the way to the treble. We'll catch up on that story next weekend. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the German Cup final and much more. Back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We go to Berlin and the Olympiastadion, where we have back-to-back winners of the German Cup. RB Leipzig getting a 2-0 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. Their third consecutive final, this was. Marco Rosa, a Leipzig, uh, born and raised in Leipzig, was Marco Rosa, winning uh, his first major German title. Nkunku with the double-deflected opener, the lesser-spotted double-deflected opener uh, in the 71st minute, and then Sobersly sealing it uh, when... Left unattended in the box, shall we say. Uh, Graham, your thoughts on this one? I, uh, to, to kick things off, I just like seeing Mario Goethe in a final. It just feels right. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I every so often I get a reminder that he is actually an Eintracht Frankfurt player, which I seem to, <laughs> right. I seem to forget about every single time, even though I've watched Frankfurt play in the Champions League this season. And I know he plays for them, but I don't know. It surprises me every single time. There's something about that shirt that doesn't quite suit him i don't know some players suit certain colors i'm not sure goats shoots the suits the frankfurt he shirt. doesn't shoot uh, but, uh, hang on a white shirt with black trim he's not it's not as if we've seen him in a final in a shirt like that before right well we've not seen him in many games for germany <laughs> since 2014 to be fair <laughs> fair enough <laughs> it's a novelty it feels like a, a relic of a bygone age but yeah i i thought this was an even contest for the majority of the match um but leipzig just had a bit more quality in the final third the fifth the first 15 minutes i thought this was set up to be like an absolute classic because both teams were creating good chances in transition. They were getting in behind. It was incredibly open. Um, Ryan's favourite, Timo Werner, had a, a clear sight of goal after just a few minutes. You'll never guess how that turned out. Uh, he oh, I score. could guess. Yeah, then uh, Kolo Moani had a, had a similar sort of chance, although the angle was a, a little bit tight over him. He hits it into the, into the side net. And after that, it kind of got a little bit stodgier. So we didn't get the complete chaos that, that I wanted from this match. But... 
the first goal by Nkuku was certainly chaotic because, uh, Ryan, you said a double deflection. I counted three deflections on its way into the goal. There's a, there's another one um, in there as well, which obviously makes it very difficult for the goalkeeper. And then the, the match was settled when Shobosly scored the second goal. There was some symbolism in Nkuku and Shobosly scoring in this match because this is likely their last game for Leipzig. Nkuku's off to Chelsea. I feel like we all kind of forgot that happened in uh, January. Signed, a, I think, a pre-contract with with Chelsea back then Chelsea and Newcastle happened yeah That's exactly he's going to turn up and his name's not going to be in a list Sorry, and he's not going to be allowed into the training ground um, and Newcastle apparently really wants Shobosly, um and Marco Rosa has admitted that it's unlikely that he'll be back for next season I think that's a real shame because Leipzig's form in the second half of this season has kind of flown under the radar a little bit and if they could keep this team together or maybe add a couple players in key positions I, I reckon given the way Bayern Munich look at the moment I reckon a title challenge is, is kind of there for them next season that that front four of Nkuku Shobosly, Omo and yes uh, even Timo Werner I think brings something to the table I think that front four is, is is very good and it feels like they're they're being broken up just as they're really starting to make an impression which is a, a shame but you know back-to-back pokals for Leipzig so that is uh, that's certainly something yeah I think you can add Leipzig to the list that Napoli started of teams that that did something or or were very close to doing something or multiple things in Europe this season that won't really have a chance to do it again. Because we mentioned Nkunku will be gone. Sobosly has been very good for a while now in Germany and had a quote recently about, you know, wanting to make sure that he doesn't waste his career. Like wanting to make sure he maximizes it essentially, which sounds a lot like a player who's eager to move to the place where the most money and talent is, which undeniably is the Premier League right now. So while Napoli are, are probably going to lose Kavaradana and Osimhen, I think Leipzig will will certainly lose Nkunku and probably will lose Sobosly as well. Which is sad, but if we've learned one thing about RB Leipzig and really Red Bull in general outside of their New York branch, perhaps, it's that there is a ton of talent there and they're pretty good at restocking. So I'm really curious to see what this next era of Leipzig will look like after this season. Wonderful stuff. And Eintracht Frankfurt, by the way, have qualified for the Europa Conference League next season. That's three years in a row, Taylor, that they'll be in Europe. That's pretty good going for Frankfurt, I'd say. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that they have aspirations to be more of a regular Champions League competitor, but I think with squad flux, managerial flux, I think they'll take Europa Conference and then they can uh, get it tattooed on them like Jose Mourinho. Why not? (laughs) Graham, go on. I was just going to say, it's kind of been a weird season for them where they've played in the Champions League, made the last 16, I would say, haven't really made giant strides in the Bundesliga, obviously make the Pokal final, but Oliver Glasner's leaving at the end of the season. There's a sense that he wants a new challenge, but also that Frankfurt aren't that kind of sad to see him go. They feel like they've sort of yeah. stagnated a little bit this season. So it's, it's difficult to get a read on how this season has gone for them. As Taylor says, I think they're ambitious and they want to be pushing up into those kind of automatic Champions League places in the, in the Bundesliga table. There we go. All right, there was a third big uh, final this weekend. Well, there was four. There was a Scottish Cup, I suppose, as well, Graham. We're going to call that big? Sure, why not? Uh, but <laughs> the one we're talking about now, Barcelona Femenino. I didn't even say anything. I'm getting shots fired here. Barcelona Femenino with a 3-2 win over Wolfsburg's ladies in the Women's uh, Champions League final in Eindhoven on Saturday. As we mentioned, played concurrently with the FA Cup final. Bold move. Uh, yeah, that's what happened, though. Uh, Joe, this was a stunning comeback for Barcelona, who are 2-0 down, coming back uh, to claim the silverware here. I, I thought, and I said this in the intro, I thought this was an incredible game. It's one of the better games that I've watched all season long, regardless of competition. There was so much to like here. And, and a lot of this, for me, I'll be honest, is I really enjoy watching uh, this Barcelona team as, as well as the men's Barcelona team yeah. play. They've been just so dominant and so successful in Europe over the last several years now. 
And we saw a ton of the reasons why in this game. If you set aside the flow of the game, which I'll talk about in just a second, and just think about really how this played out and and what the end score and stats look like. Three to two win, so three goals for Barcelona, 25 shots, 66% possession. Like, they were all over Wolfsburg. Not, Not just, like, in the second half. They were all over them from the start of this game. They controlled the tempo. We saw a lot of their build-up play trying to funnel the ball through Lucy Bronze on the right side of, of a super flexible 4-3-3. Now, she is at least partially responsible for one of the Wolfsburg goals, and so not, not a game that she will... Part of the game that she will fair, always the want shot to remember. is amazing. Like when Lucy Bronze gives that it ball is. up, she's probably not thinking Payor's sticking out in the top corner. No, it's not like a gift. It's not a Jacques Klaus gift right there for, for, for uh, Wolfsburg <laughs> in this game. But I mean, also to be fair, credit to Wolfsburg because the talent they have, they've got Alexander Pop up top, who's brilliant, and we know this very, very well by now. They've got her up top, lethal finish. I mean, they have so much talent as well but they were just ruthlessly efficient in this game with how they scored. They didn't have nearly the amount of shots or chances. They had eight shots. They scored two of them and not the best high quality chances, although Pop's goal was very, very nice. Ruthlessly finished. As I said, like Barcelona just had so much quality in this game. Wolfsburg finished efficiently, which made it into a game and forced the comeback. Just so much good stuff to like. And, and it genuinely feels like every time that this Champions League final is played, it's another like fantastic advertisement for the women's game, which comes at a great time ahead of the World Cup this summer, which I know we're all pretty stoked about. We are indeed. Graham, what did you think of this one? I agree with a lot of what Joe said. Um, Barcelona were the better team. Even in the first half, the the, the opportunities that they had from Graham Hansen and Paredes um, felt like Wolfsburg kind of sucker punched them a little bit, particularly when they go 2-0 up through the through the pop goal. But just looking at this Barcelona team, I, I still feel like they had more in the tank with some of the, the, the players that they have. I mean, Alexa Patelis doesn't even start this match. She's she's on the bench. I think we've seen Kira Walsh play better, Bon Mati as well. Um, yet they were still able to get, to, to get the job done against a very strong team in, in Wolfsburg who have a lot of talent them, themselves. Um, obviously, Barcelona's third Women's Champions League final in, in a row. Last season, they played a really bad game against Lyon in the, in the final, and I was reading a lot of the build-up to this game, and their players kept on talking about that match. I think that match did a lot of kind of psychological damage that they felt they had to come back from. So this was redemption for them. Um, as soon as Lyon went out of the competition this year to, to Chelsea in the quarterfinals, you kind of felt like... It was going to be Barcelona's year, you know, Leon and, and Barcelona, I think at this point are the two dominant forces in, in, in European football. And, and I agree with Joe, this match just got me really excited for the Women's World Cup because we'll be watching a lot of these players again at the tournament. You know, Lena Ob- Oberdorf, who I know Jones, uh, Joe's a big fan of, Pop, Kira Walsh, Lucy Bronze. I know there's some doubt over some of the Spanish players and the management situation that's continuing there, but a good number of the Barcelona players will will also be in that squad. So yeah, it's really not long until it all starts, and I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of managers, I want to praise uh, uh, Jonathan Heraldez. Jonathan Heraldez, forgive me, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, but the Barca manager, because I think I agree with what Graham said that, and what Joe said. Uh, going into this game, it does feel like that that loss to Lyon did a lot of psycho- psychological damage. There was a lot of. I don't know, desire to prove that that was a one-off, that they are the new dominant team or they can be the new dominant team. And to go 2-0 down, I think we've seen teams sort of panic at that point. And we've seen managers 
throw out the game plan and try to make something happen or try to make dramatic substitutions. Yeah. And I think Barcelona, I agree with everything Joe said. They were very good in the first half, and then they were very dominant in the second half. But they just kind of came out and kept doing what they needed to do, exemplified by two goals in two minutes to pull it back level. And the third goal is uh, what it's Lynn Vilms uh, banging it off of uh, Hendrick's head, and then I th- and then Barcelona capitalized and passed it around and score. But it's that pressure, it's that intensity. I think it flips the other way, and I feel like Wolfsburg just felt completely under the gun, under the cosh for most of that second half, and that's how Barcelona were able to get back into it. So I think they deserve a ton of credit for the way they just sort of stuck with their game plan, kept playing the way they needed to, and got the result in the end. Excellent final. Five goals and a comeback going exactly what you want to see on that platform. Very good indeed. And also a very good atmosphere in Eindhoven as well, which I think just contributed to the... Mm to the spectacle it felt like a it felt like a big match which obviously it was but sometimes with poor planning and and poor logistics you know some big women's matches don't feel like that so it was good that this match felt like like that absolutely uh let's go to la liga shall we final round of matches in la liga big ben's graham big ben's is leaving real yeah. madrid it's official he's going to uh, saudi arabia uh played his final game in madrid colors a 1-1 draw with bilbao he scored in this game so after 14 years 25 trophies benzema is heading out the exit door along with marco Sensio and eden Hazard. And Mariana, Mariano Diaz, who don't forget about him because I'm pretty sure Real Madrid forgot about him. He's still <laughs> been on their books for the last few years. Yeah, it was a day of farewells for Real Madrid. Benzema obviously being the big one. He's going to be paid um, $643 million over oh. three years uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, which I think works out around about $4 million a week. Cool. I mean, nice work if you can get it, I guess. I will miss watching Karim Benzema. I'm not going to pretend I'll watch him in Saudi Arabia because I won't. Um, so as far as this, th- as far as I'm concerned, this is essentially kind of retirement for me. Like, I'm not going to see... He doesn't play for France anymore. I can't imagine I'll see him play many more matches. And that makes me sad because I... I've found him one of the most enjoyable players to watch over the last few years. The way that he stepped up after Ronaldo left Real Madrid, I think, was surprising to many. But he'd been a kind of a a wingman for Ronaldo for so long. And then stepping up to be the main man, I think, just made him this brilliant all-round centre forward. Him and Harry Kane, I think, have been the best in that position the last few years. And yeah, as I say, I'll, I'll, I'll miss watching him. I, can someone explain the timeline of Karim Benzema to me for a moment? Because I feel like multiple outlets last week were saying, like, nope, he is definitely staying in Real, at Real Madrid. He will be there for forever. And then, like, two days later, he is gone. Was that? Do we feel like that was just mixed messaging? Was that Real Madrid putting out some sort of crisis headlines to try to control the narrative? I, I don't quite understand what happened. I'm not sure, but one of the most striking things about the way Real Madrid do transfers is things always happen so quickly. Like with other clubs, things seem to be very protracted, happen over a number of weeks. This time last week, I don't think anyone thought Karim Benzema was going to leave Real Madrid. And then you hear about it maybe midweek last week, and within a few days, he's gone and he's saying farewell in, in, in his final match. So yeah, things like this just happen very quickly for Real Madrid. Um, I think that's probably a good thing, and it means that they can evolve that team obviously Harry Kane being linked with them pretty pretty swiftly after Benzema has left uh, Kolomowani apparently as well on the radar Kai Havertz Carlo Ancelotti likes Kai Havertz apparently um, so I am very interested to see what what they do and it feels like it could have a real impact on the number nine market obviously Mayonetted looking for one Bayern Munich looking for one as well for Benzema for a moment I feel like I, I could be wading into tricky waters here so uh, I apologize in advance 
Benzema moving to Saudi Arabia feels like a very logical decision, not just from the money, but I believe I'm correct in saying that he is a, a practicing Muslim. And if you have the two holiest cities in Islam, if part of being a a uh, practicing Muslim is that you have to do the Hajj, you have to do the pilgrimage at least once. I'm assuming that gets a lot easier if you're living in Saudi Arabia. I wonder if we will see sort of an uptick in uh, Muslim players wanting to retire in Saudi Arabia because there's a lot of appeal to going there, I, I think. So it, it's an interesting transfer, and I wonder if it's a watershed moment for the Saudi league, which is an odd thing to say about a league that is likely to bring in Lionel Messi and has already brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. I imagine getting paid $4 million to go on that pilgrimage is quite a benefit oh, we, as well. That's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. is like I'm sure he'll get like a, a guided luxury uh, hajj. Somehow he'll make that happen. Yeah. His, his drip Instagram videos now are going to be like off the scale. Karen yeah. Benzema, who already brought a lot of drip to social media, is, is going to reach new heights in that regard now. What, what big cat do we think will be featured prominently? Will it be a lion? Liger. Will it be a tiger? Okay. It's going to be a liger. A liger? Yep. <laughs> yes. Well said, Joe. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Joe had that... Ready to go as though he had already contemplated. It's always a liger, Taylor. It always is. <laughs> That's going on the Out of Context channel, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tiger King Lowry has spoken. Uh, Celta Vigo 2, Barcelona 1. Celta uh, beating the champions to survive the drop. They're one point above the relegation zone before this game, Graham. Barcelona switching off once they won this league. Oh, yeah, absolutely did. Um, Celta Vigo... They seem to do this every single season, and it's usually Iago Aspas who digs them out of a hole. This time, though, it was Gabby Vega who who did that in what was probably his, his last game for Celta. He is on his way to Barca or the Premier League or somewhere like that. But he has had a fantastic season and was a real driving force in, in, in this match, even if the, the second goal was a, a complete fluke. That was a cross that found the, the far corner. The celebrations at full time were amazing. Balaidos is one of the most atmospheric stadiums in, in Spanish soccer, and there were players in tears and fans in tears, tears of relief, I presume. Um, so they'll be in La Liga next season. But but you're right, Barcelona um, have been on the meta- metaphorical beach for, it feels like about two months now after they won uh, the La Liga title. And I presume they'll be in much better shape when the season starts uh, next season. Yeah, and as you noted on social media, Graham, Barcelona jetting off to Japan for a friendly immediately Ridiculous. after this kickoff. They all look delighted by it. But hey, when, you, when you're pulling them levers, you got uh, you got to cash them in at some point, right? That- that made me genuinely depressed. I don't know why. Like, I, I, I don't... They're all millionaires. They're all fine, I'm sure. But they really did just look like, we have to do what now? Like, they, <laughs> it felt like they'd been tricked into, like, yeah, just get on the plane. We're, we're, we're going to fly home. We're all getting private flights home. Just one quick stop for about a month, and then you'll yeah. be home for sure. It did not seem like an ideal thing. And yeah, Ryan, I think that is definitely some lever pulling uh, now having some consequences. Yeah, Luxury bars and hotels in Ibiza are going, where are they? Where are they? They're in Japan. <laughs> Erling Holland will be there soon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jack Grealish is here as well. We're good. <laughs> uh, Graham, any more Liga before we move on? Yeah, so Villarreal 2, Atletico Madrid 2. Until very late on in this match, it looked like Atleti had done enough to snatch second place ahead of Real Madrid. Uh, they came from a goal behind. They were leading 2-1. Griezmann set up Angel Correa for both goals. It was all going so well. Atleti really could have finished it off on the break. They had chances. Then Axel Witzel gets sent off and Villarreal score an equaliser in the 92nd minute. Real Madrid takes second place and that one goal cost Atletico Madrid 8 million euros in prize money and a whole 
whole lot of pride because they finished behind Real Madrid in the La Liga table. The real drama, just finally, the real drama on the final day of the season in Spain was Same in the relegation battle, and particularly at Espanyol, where Adrian Ambarba scored against his former team uh, in the 89th minute to salvage a 3-3 draw for Almeria. That was enough for them to jump above Real Valladolid. They only drew against Atafi. So Almeria are safe, Valencia are safe, Cadiz are safe, Celta are safe. It was a wild relegation battle, but it's uh, Real Valladolid that go down to the Segunda Division for next season. We talked about Benzema's farewell, and I think we're going to talk about Zlatan Ibrahimovic's farewell as well. The biggest farewell the whole weekend, though, happened in Mallorca, where Matu Lahoz refereed his last no. match of his career. He was in tears at full time. He was given a standing ovation by both teams, uh, a, a guard of honour as well. Um, not a single card, though, which was just a complete waste, in my opinion. I mean, Lajos definitely should have just waved five cards in about 20 seconds for no reason at all as some sort of refereeing encore. That would have been pretty fitting. But yeah, goodbye, Matteo Lajos. He, uh, he's he's no longer a practicing referee, which makes that's me the worst. That's the worst part of my weekend right there. I love Matteo wow. Lajos. It won't Joe. be the same. That is sad. Let's pour some out for Lahoz. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go around the rest of Europe. We're going to look at the CCL final and much more. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Soda Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to Italy, where, as Graham noted before the break, Zlatan Ibrahimovic got his... 
slightly tearful send-off. Uh, he's 41 years old, 511 goals for clubs, including PSG, Man United, AC and Inter Milan. He's won the league title in four countries. Graham, the highlight of this uh, occasion, oh, by the way, Milan won 3-1 over Hellas Verona in this game, but it was all about Zlatan because that's how I prefer it. Uh, in what was dubbed the Zlatan uh, retirement press conference rather than Milan's press conference, uh, he said... And I quote, if the decision was up to Mino Riola, I would have kept playing because he wanted the commission fees. Sorry, Mino, but it's the <laughs> truth. R.I.P. Mino, by the way, who is now being spoken of slightly ill uh, by his uh, biggest client. I liked when, so he's he's speaking to the San Siro crowd and he's saying his goodbyes and everything like that. And the, the Verona fans are booing him as he's speaking. And so Zlatan turns to them and says, keep booing. This is the biggest moment in your year, seeing Oof. me. <laughs> Which is just <laughs> still time for one last classic Zlatan moment. Wonderful. Wonderful stuff. We shall miss him. I wonder where he'll resurface next. Uh, next TST tournament, Joe? What do you think? Yeah? Nailed Down. On? Don't, t- don't yeah. tempt me with a good time, Ryan. Down. <laughs> so genuinely, apparently, he's going to be an agent. I read that. He's going to start an agency. So Mino Raiola has uh, inspired him in more than one way. He'll be the first agent that takes 90% of the cut instead of 10%. 10%. (laughs) I have a really hard time. Zlatan I'm putting anyone before himself. Yeah. So maybe it'll be 51% at least. uh, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by this next chapter. Or the players have to pay him more than they're actually getting paid by their club because, you know, the privilege of knowing Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Can you imagine... what are the chances his agency is called Your Welcome Agency? Because I feel like that, that is sort of the vibe he's going to be going for. I had hoped he would start an avocado farm, uh, av- a la Zava from yeah. uh, Ted Lasso. Alas, no. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I, 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 if I were a player, I would want to be uh, one of Zatan's clients. Because imagine being a sporting director coming into the negotiating, negotiating table with Zatan. You'd have zero power. You'd have zero Terrifying. power. Yeah. Oh, just, my word. He just, uh, a blank check, please, would Latan say, and he'd get exactly what he wants. Wonderful stuff. Looking forward to seeing him. Uh, Mino Mark II. Uh, in Rome, meanwhile, Roma had a 2-1 win over Spezia. Uh, a comeback win here, Graham. Nothing particularly to play for in this one. Nothing at stake. But it was crazy. I saw my, some of my friends posting videos of the crowd, which is still absolutely mm. insane. This is a team that just lost a major final yeah. a few days ago. Uh, and big changes probably coming to this team as well. So nothing at stake for, for Roma, certainly. Spezia were um, playing for their Serie A lives, so they would yeah. probably disagree on that one. <laughs> Verona as well in the last match that we, we spoke about. Um, they're actually going to play in a playoff um, next Sunday, which is the first time in 18 years that that has happened. So the rules in Serie A are slightly different. If uh, two teams finish on the same points, one above the line, one below the line, then they play off in a playoff. So that is going to be pretty interesting next week. But yeah, for Roma, nothing on, on, on the line. A weird match. For them, a weird atmosphere at the game as well. Um, nobody knows if Mourinho is staying after that Europa League final defeat that you mentioned there, Ryan. He made a gesture to the fans after the match which sort of suggested that he's he's staying, but that's still very much up in the air. And then you have Paolo Dybala, who scores the winner in this game, and no one knows if he's staying either. So he only joined last uh, last summer, but he's got con- a clause in his contract that he can leave for just uh, 12 million euros this summer. And apparently his decision is is, is tied to Mourinho's and and, and whether he stays. So Dybala, he has had injuries this season, but whenever he's played, he's looked like the most electrifying Roma player at at the club. We should also mention that Tammy Abraham um, suffered an ACL injury in this match, which is a complete nightmare. I mean, it's a nightmare to do that at any time, but to do it in the final game of the season, when many expected him to get a transfer this summer, I think a lot of people expected him to return to the Premier League. That's just 
absolutely dreadful luck. So let's hope that Tammy Abraham, that injury isn't as bad as it first looked because it looked like a pretty bad one. Yeah, we wish a swift recovery to Tammy there. Uh, a couple more European leagues to look at. PSG with a 3-2 loss at home to Clermont in their final game of the season. Lionel Messi and Sergio Ramos playing their final games for the club. Messi booed by certain fans, uh, certain sections of fans before and during the game. Messi, Graham, is out after two years, likely his last European club game. Yeah, and it was fitting that PSG finished their season with another defeat. <laughs> the way that their season has gone, that feels apt this time to Clermont Foot, whose, uh, whose story is pretty fantastic. I'm going to be writing about them for the newsletter at some point this summer. But yeah, PSG, what... What a waste. I'm not really sure what what more I can say about PSG at, at, at this point. Just a calamitous season for them. And you consider the money they've spent, the talent they have, and in the end, they finished just one point above Lons in second place in the league on table. So this has to be the start of a completely new cycle for PSG. They keep they can't keep doing this. It seems like Mourinho's out of the running to be their next manager. It seem it appears that Julian Nagelsmann is their, is their pick to, um, to be their new manager. They're going to Pair him with Thierry Henry, which is weird. I don't think Thierry Henry and Julian, just, Julian Nagelsmann does, does have any just pull names Does Henry even longboard? I don't even understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it feels like they have a bunch of like names written on index cards, and they just throw darts at them, and whatever whatever turns up, that's what they're going with. Yeah, Nagelsmann and Thierry Henry. Is there even a connection there? Joe, I, 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 I think your longboarding one. point. Yeah, maybe that's how they met, like at some sort of skate park. I, I Honestly, I don't picture Henry as much of a longboarding guy, but that's no. the only one I can find. So weird. weird. Very weird. Is there anybody that you all think would do, could do a good job as the PSG man? No. Zidane. Okay. Really? Sure. Just because he has the personality and like the, the temperament and the fame? Just vibes. <laughs> just, just vibes. Like, I don't think anyone, I mean, look, maybe I'm wrong. Luis Campos is still the sporting director there. Maybe he has more power now to actually do what he wants to do, which it felt like last season, last summer, he didn't have that power. So maybe I'm wrong, but it just, it just doesn't feel like PSG have the right circumstances to, to to allow a modern manager like Nagelsmann to come in and build like a system and a cohere, with a coherent approach. So you're looking to a manager who can just ha- who can just handle the the egos in the dressing room and play on vibes. Yeah. That's Zidane. Yeah, it, I think Zidane is a, f- a fair shout. I'm not sure that that's going to be enough. Like PSG, we talked about this a bunch of times this year. They're just an unserious team, right? Like they're they're just not a serious team doing serious things. Like they're a brand. They have a lot of star power. Honestly, I think Messi leaving will, will probably help get them a little bit closer because it will help the balance of the team and they still have about as good as you can do outside of Messi on the planet right now and killing Mbappe. So you know, maybe this summer actually will be a real meaningful step forward for them that will allow them to actually challenge in, in the Champions League as much as you can in a, a, what essentially turns into a knockout tournament as you go along. But yeah, Zidane maybe gets you closer, but there's there are deeper problems for PSG than just the coach. Phil Neville it is. Hey, looking for a job. Yeah, available, available. As is Big Sam, just saying. There's a few names out there. Um, Scottish Cup final. Celtic got a 3-1 win over Inverness. Excuse me, Graham. This uh, this, uh, more success for Celtic and their manager, Andrew Postacoglu, who has agreed terms with the Tottenham Hotspurs. Yeah. So this was likely his his final game as Celtic manager. Celtic clinching the the treble, as you say, by beating second division Inverness. That was always likely to happen, given the gulf between the two teams. I thought Inverness actually put up 
a decent fight, but kind of similar to Man City against Man United, it felt like they were kind of playing in second or third gear. They could have gone to a higher gear if they needed to. Um, this was Celtic's fifth treble in the last eight seasons. Insert comment here about the top end of Scottish football being uncompetitive. I think Postacoglu has done a great job. The top end of Scottish job. football is uncompetitive. Retweet. <laughs> <Yeah>, thanks. <laughs> Postacoglu has done a great job at Celtic, though. Um, he's expected to be announced by Spurs this week. I will miss him in Scottish football. Celtic have been fantastic to watch under Postacoglu. I personally can't wait to see how he does in the Premier League. Joe, I have a feeling you're going to really enjoy watching. I mean, if Spurs don't, you know, Spurs it up and if Daniel Levy kind of gets out of the way. If those two things happen, I think Joe is going to very much enjoy Postacoglu's uh, Spurs. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm ready. We shall. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, I had a quick question. Graham, is it Partick Thistle coming coming back up into the Premier Premiership? Yeah. No, so I wasn't sure if I would be allowed to mention this <laughs> or whether Ryan would slap me down because this is a relegation playoff in the Scottish Premiership. But I wouldn't normally mention it, but this was a crazy game. So part of this were 3-0 up with 19 minutes to go. Ross County then fought back to 3-3 won it on penalties. Partick Thistle have this kind of reputation, almost like a like a Scottish football Spurs, which that collapse very much fits in with that identity. So completely crushing for them. But Ross County will be staying in the Scottish Premiership for next season. There was a few of there was a few of uh, the listeners following along that game in the Discord, and I was I was chatting with them. I think it was an enjoyable one for anyone who caught it. Good stuff. Thank you for that extra detail, Graham. I'm editing, so I'm going to cut that out. Let's go to Belgium. <laughs> Explain the drama at the end of the season for Royal Antwerp and Toby Alderweireld, the hometown hero. Yeah, so Antwerp kicked off the, the day on top of the Belgian Pro League. Um, but after 89 minutes, Union San Gualoisi, they, they were winning the title. Then after 91 minutes, the title was going to Genk when Union conceded an equaliser. Then on 94 minutes, Toby Alderweireld, we spoke about this at the top of the show, he joined Antwerp last summer, they're his hometown club, and he scored this amazing long-range strike into the top corner to give Antwerp the the, the title. Um, so the, the, the title changed hands three different times in the space of, uh, I'm counting this up, five minutes on the final day of the season in the Belgian Pro League. Incredible drama. Interestingly enough, um, it was an independent company that came up with the format for the Belgian Pro League a few years ago. And I don't know if anyone has looked into the format of the Belgian Pro League. It is absolutely wild. So for the last phase of the season, they like half the points that teams have had from the first half of the season. And then they split the table into like a top half and a bottom half as well. But basically this independent company I was reading, they came up with this format a few years ago because they worked out this would create the most drama in the final games of the season. I don't fully understand it. It's all a bit weird. But if this is the result, then I'm fully on board. More of this madness, please. Mm. MLS is listening. That's all I can say, Graham, on that front. And speaking of MLS, Joe, we'll probably cover, well, we're going to cover more on Tuesday's show, but the headline, Phil Neville out, courtesy of his best buddy, David Beckham. Yeah, that's that has to have been an awkward conversation between David and Phil. Something that... Honestly, I don't know if it needed to happen. Like you said, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. I don't understand what Phil Neville's supposed to do. I, I want to be clear, and I, I tweeted this after this happened. I, I've never been particularly impressed with Phil Neville as a manager. It doesn't seem to me that he's done virtually anything to improve the the product in Miami. Like I don't think he's he's taken the parts into more than they are. But at the same time, 
Like, what is he supposed to do? He's lost two starters to injury. The big signing they made over the, the summer, or the offseason, excuse me, to get Joseph Martinez hasn't really worked out, and that's largely because both Martinez and Leo Campagna are strikers that need a, a creator to provide them with service. They don't really create shots for themselves. And Miami haven't signed a number 10 because they're waiting on Messi to make up his mind and figure out what he wants to do. So like, I don't really understand what Phil Neville's supposed to do. The only way that this like actually makes a difference or, or matters anytime soon is if this is part of the strategy to get Messi. And Messi's like, hey, I want this guy to lead me and I want this guy to be on his staff and I want this guy to be on his staff as well. If that's the case, then by all means, go for it and do whatever you've got to do. And I don't think David Beckham will lose an ounce of sleep over that. But if that's not part of this, and I, I think it's more likely that it's not, this is all just kind of trying to save face for a bad season. And the season's going to continue to be bad if Messi or another really good number 10 doesn't arrive in the summer. I wasn't very sort of conspiracy brained about this and the whole Messi uh, story until I read that Tata Martino apparently is like one of the favorites and that made me kind of go ah right because Messi famously appointed essentially Tata Martino as Barcelona manager I think they have a a decent relationship um so it's either going to be Tata Martino or Messi's giant dog I was gonna say uh, (laughs) like how obvious are they gonna go with this like the giant dog will be inked as the mascot as a goalkeeper like I what else would they need to do because there was like the Busquets Link was pretty strong, yep. right? Messi's friends. I'm, tr- yep. I'm trying to think like who else you could bring in that would that would sort of keep him on board, keep him engaged, and keep him potentially Jor- standing for Miami. Jorge as the uh, as the new sporting director, Chris Henderson. Sorry, you've done you've done good work, mm. but we're gonna have Jorge take over from here. Appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe uh, a very creative accountant. Messi likes those. Anyway, uh, let's go to the Concacaf Champions League, a fifth major. Uh, final to talk about yeah. from this weekend. Leon getting a two-on win on aggregate. Joe, once again, explain to me why is this two legs this final? Why? I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> love it. We we had some folks talk about some some very valid reasons why in the Discord, but the reality is it's not. And, and it, sorry, Ryan, to, to correct you, it was three-one on aggregate. Like it wasn't even as, as close as you're making it out to be. Oh. It was two-one for Leon in the first leg, and Dennis Bowanga rescued a goal in second half stoppage time for LAFC. To give them a real shot coming back home to to the bank in L.A. It made sense. They had a real chance coming into this game. And they just never showed up. Like before the game started, Steve Chirundolo dropped uh, or LAFC dropped a lineup. And it was a 5-2-3 or 3-4-3 shape, essentially, with Carlos Vela, Dennis Bowanga, and Bogus in the front line for LAFC. That that makes sense. We've seen those players play in those roles this season. But they went with two central midfielders instead of three. Added an extra center back into the back line. And I don't know if it was the lack of familiarity with that shape. I wouldn't think it would be crazy hard to adopt that, but maybe it's harder than I'm, I'm thinking. Or if it was just a really poor performance, but LAFC just didn't have it in this game. They created chances at the end when they're chasing and needed two goals to get it to extra time. But before that, man, the first... Well, let me back up. The first 15 minutes, I didn't see this game because of NASCAR. But when I did actually see the game on my recording on FS1, I love that, by the way. I was super happy about that. When I did see the game, it was Leon. It was like one-way traffic at the beginning of this match. The center backs for LAFC were so aggressive. Aaron Long was stepping forward all the time. Jesus Mario was stepping forward all the time with Chiellini in the middle. And they were leaving these massive gaps in between, you know, different lanes in the back line. And even before Leon scored the goal, which is off of one of those sequences, they had another moment where Aaron Long is so far forward marking someone in midfield and somebody just runs in the gap right between Chiellini and, and Palacios. It was it was really poor yeah. from LAFC in the moments where they, they needed to show some strength and some firepower from the start of this match. They turned it on at the end, but by then it was it was too late. And frankly, 
this was a, a really disappointing failure for LAFC last night. Yep. Uh, retweet everything Joe said, and I would just add, uh, Leon, the better team, certainly uh, yep. over both legs, but in both games. Uh, so that is like full stop statement. Leon also concacaf this game very effectively. And and I'm not trying to say that they used the dark arts to win this, but they used the dark arts to keep the lead, basically. And I think uh, what, what I said about uh, the Barcelona women's team for uh, earlier, about how they just kind of stuck to it, played their game, found a way to win... LAFC, I think, by contrast, really lost their cool, and there was no, there were no red cards, there were no blowups, but it was just that frustration, and that's a key part of the Concacaf Dark Arts is the like making a little bit of contact look like a lot of bit of contact, and then staying down and and slowing the clock and putting the ball out of play and rolling around and, and just sort of disrupting everything LA wanted to do, and then. Uh, simultaneously, Leon, I think three or four different times in the first 15 minutes just had little kicks on Murillo after he was gone. Only one time is it called. But just moments like that where you start like just like, ticking them up and you get more frustrated and you could start to see see it in the second half. Uh, Stipe Biuk uh, has a call against him and he spikes the ball and walks away in annoyance. And there were just those moments where you could see LA just being overcome by the by the moment, but I think also by some of what Leon were doing. And, and that's what a team is going to do when they have the lead and they're trying to see it out. So I don't begrudge Leon anything. I thought they were, they were uh, worthy champions, deserved champions, but I think LAFC will definitely be kicking themselves for the game plan, as Joe already talked about, mm-hmm. but also for the inability to sort of stay focused and play their game uh, I'm, I'm torn by this result taylor because on the one hand i'd like to see an mls team win this tournament but on the other in my heart i get a lot of pleasure from chiellini losing things mm-hmm. so i don't he, know I'm... uh yeah he did not have a great game i i cannot believe he didn't get a yellow card in this one not even because he was being particularly vicious or physical just because that felt like another player uh, Leon were trying to spotlight as, as oh, if there's any tackle, I'm going down like I've been shot. And sometimes I think they got some contact in there. But Chiellini, I don't think, had a great game. Joe, I, I saw some people asking or saying he needed to be substituted at halftime. Is that a, a change you would have made, or do you feel like Chiellini brings some of that veteran nous? I, I probably wouldn't have brought him off at halftime. I don't know that he looked like he was fully ready in this game. But I probably would have shifted back to the back four a little bit sooner than Chirendolo did to try and maybe tighten those gaps. You know, you think about when you have a back five, you've got more width across the back line. You've got more cover there. It didn't seem that way with how LAFC interpreted that shape. Like I mentioned with the outside center backs stepping forward so much, I probably would have tried to get those players a little bit tighter and add another midfielder on sooner and, and maybe leave Chiellini off and take on, excuse me, and take Mario or long off the field. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm ultimately the, the biggest thing that I thought mattered in this game was just LAFC's performance. Like they just, they weren't fully there. They were a, a beat late defensively. The midfield, just like in the first leg, didn't make very savvy decisions. The attacking players weren't all that incisive. Carlos Vela comes off early in the, in the second half, like just a, a mess of errors from this team that, that played well below the standard that we know they can reach. Uh, Joe, a quick beat on the under-20 World Cup, please. The U.S. Uh, knocked out by Uruguay in the quarterfinals. Yeah, re- real bummer of a result uh, over the weekend with the U.S. They've gone out in the quarters, I believe, in four straight U-20 World Cups, which is fine, and it's not the results that matter the most uh, in youth tournaments. It's absolutely the players that go on to have productive careers in, in the international context, especially for their national teams. And there was lots to, to like on that regard. But man, a, a tough couple of goals to give up against Uruguay over the weekend. The first is just kind of a mess from all three center backs for the U.S. and their 3-4-3. And then the second one is a really terrible own goal from Josh Winder, again, one of those center backs. So it was, it was not a super sparkly positive last performance, but Jack McGlynn, 
Brandon Craig, Diego Luna, Obed Vargas, I thought all looked really, really good uh, in this tournament and in general boosted their stocks. There's a ton of talent in this age group, and I, I probably feel more bullish on this group now than I did before this tournament started in Argentina. And, and not that like that's the most important thing that matters, but I think that does matter, and I'm happy about that. Uh, the final of the Under-20 World Cup this Sunday, 5 Eastern on FS2, should you be inclined. One more piece of business to cover, Graham. Come dog related, please. Yeah. So we have to mention that a close personal friend of the show and 2022 World Cup icon, Jason Cummings, <laughs> a.k.a. the Cum Dog, scored a hat trick for the Central Coast Mariners in the A-League Grand Final at the weekend. It was his last match for the club as well because he's now going to India to, according to the man himself, become the Cum Dog Millionaire. He's agreed to that transfer purely to service that nickname, hasn't he? That's the only reason he's going to India so that he can be the Cum Dog Millionaire. The cum dog millionaire. That is a wonderful turn of phrase to end this podcast on, Graham. Congratulations to the cum dog millionaire for his hat trick and his new beginning in India. Uh, Graham Rothen, thank you very much for that uh, bit of information and for all information you've provided on this here podcast. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always to have your services on the weekend review. Right back at you, Ryan. And Taylor Rocco, we didn't need to sub you out for Valve Cost. You stayed the whole time. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Yay! Thank you all. It was my pleasure. Our pleasure indeed. Listener, thank you for joining us on the feed. We'll be back very shortly. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.